My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sooner or later, every sell-off comes to an end. And when that happens, you get a day like today where the Dow climbed 108 points, S&P gained 0.49%, NASDAQ jumped 0.55%. End of the month? I don't know. A lot here. We've had two different sources of selling for a while now. Ever since the disaster that was Facebook's latest quarter, Fang and friends have been facing what feels like an existential crisis. And ever since our government started escalating the trade war against the Chinese, investors have reacted with wholesale revulsion toward what I call the China stocks, the stocks of companies that get a significant percentage of their growth from the People's Republic. These two themes have bred so much selling that they dragged down the entire market. Until today, that is. Today, the sellers took a break, a breather. They walked away. And we saw what happens in their absence. Stocks fly up. Now, it didn't start that way this morning. At the open, Facebook began what looked like yet another swoon. By the way, we call this reloading, as in the sellers have reloaded and they're back again to give you more mayhem. I can tell you how it works behind the scenes at the big institutional houses. If you're running a hedge fund, you'll get a call from your broker who says, oh, no, the seller's back. He's not done. He's reloaded. When you get that crucial bit of guidance, the natural move is to say to yourself, hey, I'm not going to take my life in my hands. I'm not going to catch a falling knife. I'm going to walk away. And that's what most money managers would normally do. But today, the Facebook sellers walked away. Maybe they're done. Maybe they've just stopped. Maybe they're hoping that the bids will build another term of art for the possibility that buyers will finally surface around the last sale. The hope is that they'll stand there buying stocks, sop it up as the seller reloads and prepares for another volley. For whatever reason, though, the sellers chose to hold their fire today. And that was something that became clear around 11 a.m. And into that vacuum, you got a gap up, not just for Facebook, for almost everything. A smaller version of the gigantic gap down for Facebook, though. So after relentless pressure, the stock of this once red-hot social media company actually rallied. It finished up a buck 52. Granted, the gap is minuscule compared to the Grand Canyon of a selling chasm we experienced last week. Still, the absence of downward pressure allowed buyers to come out of their foxholes and buy a whole slew of tech names. It ignited a true tech rally. Will the buyers maintain control of the narrative tomorrow? Yes and no. Yes, because of Apple. which just this evening reported remarkable numbers confirming my own admonition that you should own, not trade, the stock of the greatest consumer products company in history. Notice I didn't say tech, greatest consumer products. But no necessar- not necessarily to Facebook, if only because there's so many analysts I think are ready to jump ship on any upward move. Sell, 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 sell. So now that we know why tech rallied the lift of Facebook, Let's talk about this remarkable Apple quarter reported after the close. Let's talk about this one with sharply better than expected revenues, the fourth consecutive quarter of double-digit sales, and a truly bountiful bottom line. On top of that, we got terrific guidance for next quarter and, once again, a fantastic service stream, $9.5 billion. That is a remarkable 31% increase from last year. But you know what? I'm beginning to have a problem extending Apple's prowess in the after-hours rally to Fang. 
my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet. Because amazingly, despite Apple's consistency, it gets a much lower price-to-earnings multiple than what is rapidly becoming uh, the episodic nature of the four fangs. Even more galling, the stock of it I have urged you long time to own and not trade isn't even valued like a regular tech company. It's valued as if it were some sort of dirty cyclical industrial. I'm telling you, this is poppycock. Given the rapid growth of that service stream, this company deserves to sell at a price-to-earnings ratio that is more like a consumer packaged goods company. In fact, it should be covered by the same analysts that follow a Procter & Gamble, a Clorox, a PepsiCo, a Colgate. Because if it were, I could argue it should be valued at well north of $280 instead of about $200 where it is right now. That's right. You heard me. $280. How did I dream up that number? Because the organic growth of these so-called steady eddy companies is nowhere near that of Apple. The cash return to shareholders is nowhere near that of Apple. The brand loyalty is nowhere near that of Apple. The worldwide pervasiveness is fractional versus Apple. I know if I were running research of a major Wall Street firm as of tonight, I would strip my tech analysts of this stock and place it squarely in the realm of my consumer products group. So that's how I could explain how the stock should have a $300 target, not a $200 target, which I think it'll eclipse tomorrow. How again do I get this? Let's understand each other. I see Apple as a razor, razor blade story and Procter and Gamble, which is the razor, razor blade story of Gillette, had one percent organic growth and it gets a 20 multiple. Come on. This is craziness. Apple's too cheap. How about the other big gainers today? The China stocks. Right around the opening, we heard that Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is chatting privately with a high-level Chinese official about restarting trade talks. 100% hearsay. We have no idea whether there's really anything going on, nor do we know if talks will lead anywhere. However, last week's constructive talks with the Europeans make it possible that the rumor has some credence. The upshot, the China-oriented industrials like 3M, Cummins, Caterpillar, Boeing, Emerson, Honeywell, United Technologies, all beaten down despite excellent quarters, saw their stocks come roaring back. Some were simply coiled springs, like that of Caterpillar, where the stock that wilted yesterday after a really good quarter, or 3M, which has been beaten up mercilessly. Others, like Boeing, are back in the bull camp after last week's downdraft. Now, do either of these big tech or industrial moves have staying power? I think both rallies are a little tenuous. Facebook has come down to a level that presumes the deceleration will continue for next year. That's the only way to explain the stock's current valuation. Now, if I were an analyst who covers Facebook, I'd contact my trading desk and ask whether there are finally enough buyers down underneath to let us downgrade the stock from buy to hold. There are so many analysts who haven't even done that yet without crushing the stock and earning the lasting enmity of the people who still own it who pay commissions. As long as the rest of tech is trading with Facebook, it's going to be precarious. But if tech trades up with the greatest consumer product story ever told, that of Apple, well, that's a different story. The China truce narrative is also totally fraught. Every time Steve Mnuchin from Treasury is out there with a positive yin, we get a seriously negative yang from the anti-China wing in the White House, led by Peter Navarro. My contacts indicate that the president believes the Chinese are on the run. Their economy is slowing. That makes me think he'll be less likely to make nice and more likely to try to lay down the law. All that said, I recognize that if the sellers are at last finished in tech or the industrials, if the weak hands have left the building, I think the collaterally damaged stocks in tech and industrials are somewhat inoculated against any future pullback. 
especially since the results have been pretty darn good so far. Let me give you my bottom line tonight. I'm not saying enjoy it while it lasts. I am saying that you usually don't get an intraday reversal from the downside without it being meaningful in one way. There will be buyers who want badly to get in, and they love to buy at the levels we got this very morning. A great market never lets them back in, but a good one does, and that's the level to commit if you haven't bought before the next leg upwards. Oh, and one more thing. While I'm at it, no, it is not too late to own Apple. Apple, the tech stock, maybe, but Apple, the consumer products company, that deserves to trade so much higher. Well, let's just say own it, don't trade it, and buy it if you don't. Van in Florida, Van. Hi, Jim. I love your show. Thank you, Van. What's going on? My stock is Raytheon, symbol RTN. After a very strong 2017, this stock sold off sharply this spring. They gave a strong earnings report recently and still went down, but the stock showed some improvement today. Jim, what happened to Raytheon stock? And at this point, would you buy, sell, or hold? My Chapel Trust owns it. I've been advising members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club to buy the stock right here, right now. What happened was someone upgraded Northrop. A couple of the other defense companies reported good numbers. Raytheon's rebuilding the bids. I think it can go higher. It is no longer expensive. I want you to own it. Or if you don't own a defense stock, that's the cheapest. Tyler and Marilyn Tyler. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well. How about you, Tyler? Good to hear. I'm good. I'm good myself. I have a few questions after this giant tech sell-off. Sure. So I want to say, I noticed that Nutanix is moving away from hardware to the much more margin-friendly software field. Right. I know it just stopped under its 200-day moving average. And as everyone from the older guys to the Wall Street boys now, tech is getting absolutely obliterated. Um, I was watching TV last night, and you expressed that you can siphon through some of the carnage, and there's a possibility that you could find some bargains. I wanted to ask you about the borrowing potential of Nutanix and what you think about the opportunity available. Uh, I I think Nutanix sold off as part of a general move related to Facebook. Nutanix has had an unbelievable quarter. It is doing amazingly well. I think the company at $8.4 billion is too cheap. I know that seems odd, but the market cap is too low. I want to be a buyer. Now, if the sellers are finally finished, that's good news for tech stocks and the industrials. But remember, buyers will, buyers will want to get in, and they love to see the levels we saw this morning, but maybe Apple won't let them. On Man Money tonight, only even the results of the two-day Fed meeting. I'll tell you why Groom is busting out all over and which stocks you should be eyeing now that the clouds have parted. And gold support is supposed to be a place for investors to turn to during tumultuous times. So why has gold been plunging in the middle of a trade war in a budget-busting move? I'm going off the charts to find out. And with temperatures heating up across the country, is it time to jump into Pool Corp? I'm going to take a deep dive with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
I know I shouldn't need to remind anyone of this, but we keep forgetting that the economy is really strong. As we get ready for the results of the Fed meeting tomorrow, let's remember that employment is on fire. We just had 4% GDP growth last quarter. Hardly anyone saw that number coming, aside from a few people in the administration like Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, my former partner, by the way, in Kudlow and Kramer. It's a big deal. You overlook the strong economy at your own peril when you're picking stocks. When we hear that wages are going up, when companies whine that it's hard to find workers and their gross margins are degrading because they need to pay higher wages, think about what that actually means. Where do those dollars actually go? The job market's so tight that people who were previously considered so-called unemployable, including ex-convicts who paid their dues to society, are finding work. And when previously unemployed people find work, they tend to spend their newfound cash. That's why I think there's a strong case for circling back to the retailers. Have you noticed the resurgence in the stock of Walmart? Have you been to Walmart lately? I've been to a bunch of them. They look great, and they still have those same low prices. I know Target's run, but it still has a depressed valuation. It's trading at 15 times next year's numbers with a 3.2% bountiful yield. I would still consider Costco, even after it's run, because of that fabulous membership revenue stream. The numbers there are stellar. Please don't overlook the stalled Home Depot, because with a shortage of housing, remodeling is getting very popular. Just take a look at Trex, the maker of faux wood, with a stock that zoomed up 21% today because of an amazing quarter that you should go listen to. As CEO James Klein, who's been on our show explaining on the conference call, I quote, we think the trends are clear. Our residential business continues to benefit from high consumer confidence levels and increasing repair remodeling spend. They, by the way, that kind of spending represents 83% of Trex's portfolio. One analyst questioned how much of Trex's strength came from the recent rise in prices for actual wood, the competition. Klein said it was difficult to bifurcate, but that it really did help sales in the West Coast. That said, I think the real story here is that we've got a stronger consumer who's eager to spend to improve their home. We saw the same thing recently from Kramer Fave RPM International. If you don't know them, that's Rustoleum and DAP and a host of other coatings and sealants. Sherwin-Williams put up some great numbers. The paint kingpin crushed estimates. Lot to like with HD Supply and Granger. Many people don't talk about those. They should. Maintenance and repair companies stand out when consumer spend is strong. And one that's coming back oh so nicely, have you seen Stanley Black & Decker? The toolmaker. If you had any doubts about whether Home Depot's a buy, Stanley Black & Decker seals the deal. If you want general plays on employment, I'm still circling back to paychecks for payroll processing. I don't mind automatic data processing either now that it's pulled back. Hey, by the way, remember, both benefit from the float, the interest they collect while they wait to issue your paycheck. Something that will only get better is the Fed Titans. My favorite here probably is Cintas. That's the uniform rental company that reports one blowout quarter after another after another. Blue collar hiring. Now, and if you really want to to Pick the greatest consumer product spend story ever, and are willing to tolerate some worldwide implications, then, of course, buy the stock of Apple. Sorry, I couldn't resist pushing my new consumer products narrative. And, of course, you should own that one. Today was a gloom-busting day. Remember that these domestically-oriented stocks react positively on any bad news from China, meaning on anything that suggests the trade war is escalating. So if you're still worried about Chinese tensions, these names are a great place to hide. And let's be sure about it. I'm throwing an apple, which if you don't own, well, come on. Get with the program. David in Georgia. David. Hello, Dr. Kramer. Yes. I'm David from Georgia. First time caller. All right. Love, I love Mad Money, long time watcher. I want to give you and your great staff 
a great big booyah. I like that. My staff deserves it. I put them through hell. What's up? I purchased your uh, great book, Jim Cramer, Get Rich Carefully. I am a retired contractor, and on 12-27-17, you had the CEO of U.S. Concrete on, USCR. He stated that he was expanding his fleet as the demand for concrete through government and building contracts had increased. The stock at the time was $82 a share and has gone down steadily to $50.45 per share to date. Should I keep it or take a loss? With the stock down 40%, we have to get Bill Sandbrook back. I know Bill thought that there would be a big infrastructure bill. I thought there would be a big infrastructure bill. We did not get a big infrastructure bill. If we did get one, the stock would be appreciably higher. This is only an $848 million market cap stock. No, I would not sell it here. Newsflash, the economy is strong, and so is the consumer. Take a look at retail and stocks that benefit from an increase in home remodeling and so many other ways the consumer is spending. Much more mad money ahead. With gold edging higher today after declines over the past three straight sessions, wondering what's ahead for the economy? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. Then, is it time to go for a swim with Pool Corp? Or could the news that its CEO, whom I like very much, is retiring leave you cold? I'll dip my toe in the water, see if the temperature's right for this market. And Apple just reported and the stock is flying. But how's the rest of the tech sector faring? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Cypress Semi, a real good chip company. Find out what's ahead for them. Stick with Kramer. So many people worrying about rising raw costs and the possibility of inflation with the yield and the 10 year treasury ticking slowly back to 3%. With a whole cohort of investors claiming we need to be afraid of a trade war and the slowdown that comes from it. Here's an important question why the heck is it? Has gold been such a lousy performer? Times of inflation, times of uncertainty, times of rising interest rates. Well, gold's supposed to go higher, not lower. But lately, it's done just the opposite. With the price of the precious metal sinking by $150 an ounce, roughly 11% since it peaked in April. Does this make any sense at all? Head scratcher, right? Could gold be ready to make a comeback? Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go off the charts to find out with the help of Carly Garner. Man, she's a real smart technician. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and a chartist who works with me in real money that has a terrific track record when it comes to commodities. First off, let's be clear. Despite all the hand-wringing we hear about inflation and possible slowdown at the moment, we actually have a roaring economy. Come on, I've been talking about that all show. Throw in a strong dollar, and you've got a combination that's been weighing heavily in the price of gold. However, Garner believes that precious metals could be ready to snap back. Why? Because the price of gold still hasn't really reacted to the current trade war or the exploding budget deficit, which a lot of you care about tremendously, of course, or even the recent uptick in inflation. With inflation on the rise and the government borrowing insanely high, you'd expect precious metals to become more popular on the Wall Street fashion show, as gold is a natural hedge against inflation and higher interest rates. What else does Garner think gold is going for here? Okay, let's take a look at this chart from Moore Research Center, Inc., which shows the normal seasonal patterns in the gold market. Now, according to their data, going long a December gold futures contract, or basically betting in favor of gold, on July 24th, July 24th, and holding through September 6th, has produced a profit, get this, 13 of the last 15 years. That's pretty sure, isn't it? I mean, really, these, these are very big gains that you could get. In short, I think we've just entered this single best time of year to bet 
on coal. Of course, past performance does not guarantee future results. For all we know, this will be one of those couple of years, uh, very rare, where gold does go down from late July to September. But all else being equal, it's better to have these seasonal patterns on your side than to fight against them. And I am a huge believer in seasonality. More importantly, from a technical perspective, Wall Street has gotten extremely pessimistic about, the, about this precious metal. Garner is a contrarian. She goes against the grain. She likes to go bullish when everybody else is bearish because that's how you spot major opportunities. At the moment, gold definitively falls into that category. According to Consensus Bullish Sentiment Index, just 28% of the industry insiders that were polled recently were positive on gold. That's incredibly low. According to Garner, the rule of thumb when you're looking for a contrarian trade is that you want 25% or less to be bullish. Gold is very close to that level, which makes her think that sentiment here could be ripe for a shift. Basically, there simply aren't that many people left who would be convinced to abandon the precious metal because most of its adherents have given up and thrown in the towel already. Now, take a look at this. This is the weekly chart of gold futures. It includes the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's Commitments of Traders report. Remember, this COT report we've talked about a lot. It's incredibly helpful data. shows exactly how large speculators, small speculators, and commercial hedgers are positioned. The group Garner always has cared about and has never steered us wrong, frankly, is the large speculators, the big institutional money managers. And while these large speculators haven't yet built up a net short position, they have reduced their gold futures, get this, to the lowest level in years. And this chart shows you that the big money speculators are pretty darn negative, and I think perhaps too negative on the yellow metal, which could be tinder for a big rally. You rarely do see a net short position. So when it comes to gold, simply having a very small net long position is a sign that sentiment has gotten too negative. Crucially, the last time the numbers got this low, this is current, was December of 2015, okay? Now, how'd we do if we went long at that particular moment when there weren't that many people who liked it? Boom! This is a monster rally. El monstro. So this pervasive negativity is one reason why Garner thinks the bottom of the precious metals might be imminent, if not here. What else makes her feel confident? All right, look at this weekly chart. Garner points out that ever since the yellow metal found its floor of support in early 2013, it's been a nightmare for trend traders. On the other hand, it's been a counter-trend trader's dream. Gold rallies have habitually stalled out in the high 1300s. Look at this. Pretty, pretty tried and true, right? You rarely see dips, though, below the floor of support, which is 1200. Basically, you rarely see gold make a sustained move in one direction for a long time. Sooner or later, it changes course, and after three months of selling, Garner thinks it could be ready to change course. Right here, gold's trading at $1,224, which is only about $24 above that floor. If the $1,200 level doesn't hold, well, then we might see a downdraft, she says, to $1,125. But she doesn't expect that to happen. Given that the precious metal usually reverses when it gets too close to its floor or ceiling, she thinks that the path of least resistance at this moment, right here, is higher. Heading maps, perhaps, to 1350. That's been the pattern for years. She doesn't see any reason why it would change right now. You want to buy gold here, maybe sell it there. How about the daily chart? Also very telling. Garner thinks it is really a similar story. In fact, if anything, the daily chart's even more bullish. You've got a confluence of three different technical support levels near the $1,200 level. And on top of that, when you look at the relative strength index or the RSI, it's an important momentum indicator. It's giving you an extreme oversold reading here. Every other time the RSI has given us a similar reading since 2017, look at these buy points, will you? Look at how good they've been. That's why Garner believes that gold could be ready to roar. 
But before we go crazy, let's check one more thing. Let's check the weekly chart of silver. Well, gold is a much more deeper. It's a, gold's deep, okay? Silver uh, is not as important. Remember, silver also has some industrial opportunities. It tends to trade in tandem. Uh, so if you look at silver and gold, it's about 80% of the time they confirm each other. Now, according to Garner, what you're really seeing in the silver market is a severe volatility depression. Silver's been trading in a very tight range for a few years now. And that's the exact opposite of how it usually behaves. Basically, silver has been trading sideways and forming a multi-year base. Garner sees this as a sign of underlying strength, and she thinks it leaves the door open for a major rally as sentiment ever starts to get more positive. Why does this matter? Because if silver manages to find a way to break out, Garner's betting the pin action will give gold a boost, too. Remember, 80% correlation. Let me give you the bottom line here. For those of you who are genuinely worried about inflation and trade policy and rising rates, don't forget, hey, let's throw in the budget deficit. You don't need to dump your stocks. Instead, though, how about buying some gold as an insurance against economic chaos, perhaps via the GLD, the ETF that owns gold, so you don't have to necessarily go by the physical. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, my favorite commodities analyst, when it comes to charting, suggest that the precious metal could be ready to run here. No one's thinking this. But I wouldn't be surprised if she turned out to be dead right. Marsha in Texas. Marsha. Well, hi, Jim. This is Marsha from Texas. How should an investor add gold, precious metals, or commodities to their portfolio? Or do I just buy gold bars? Um, look, the ideal, honestly, the ideal is gold bars. Let me give you the downside of gold bars. you got to put them in a depository account. I don't want you putting gold in your house, and I don't want you burying it in your backyard. So instead of that, a lot of people like to go default to the GLD, now, there are many people who say, listen, that's just a piece of paper. I want the physical. I agree with that. But I urge people and recognize that you must pay a fee to store it at a bank. But it gives you peace of mind against what I think is conceivably to be a robbery. And that's what I don't want. All right. Tonight's chartist, Carly Garner, she thinks that gold could be poised to head higher. So if inflation and trade worries are weighing on you, let alone the budget deficit, this is what you should do as an insurance policy. Okay, we got much more mad money ahead tonight. Pool Corp's taking a dip since reporting. Is this case throwing the baby out with the bathwater? And then, is it time to search for a tech sector for buying opportunities? After the recent drop in the NASDAQ, but of course after Apple tonight, I think we got to sit down with the CEO of Cypress Semi to see if it could be a primetime buy. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. supposed to make of the action in the stock of Pool Corporation. That's America's leading wholesale purveyor of pool parts, supplies, and maintenance equipment. Here's a stock that's given you a remarkable long-term run as Pool Corp has acquired competitor after competitor. A lot of mom and pops, too. It's up more than 40% over the past year, and the darn thing has nearly tripled over the past five years. I think these guys are one of the few clear winners from global warming, too. Nothing makes you want to swim like unbearably hot weather. But Pool Corp's shares have pulled back more than $9, or nearly 6% from the recent highs, after the company reported not so hot quarter a week and a half ago. While the company's still growing nicely, it posted a small top and bottom line miss. More on that in a second, even as management raised their full year earnings guidance. The culprit? Pool blamed a slow start to the quarter, as many of their markets had a delayed spring this year. However, the company's confident about its prospects, which is why they raised their forecast. 
Now, making things more complicated, longtime CEO Manny Perez de la Mesa is stepping down at the end of the year. So do we need to rethink our thesis here or is the story intact? Let's take a closer look with Manny Perez de la Mesa, the outgoing president and CEO, to learn more about the quarter and what is going on with the future. Mr. Perez de la Mesa, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, sir. How are you? All right, Manny, I don't know. 77 quarters of investor uh, calls. And you're calling it quits? What's the matter? Why do you want to move on? Well, it's been 20 years. It will be 20 years at the end of this year. And um, we have a great team in place, great leadership. We're in a great industry. And uh, as time goes on, I think that uh, I should unleash them to the future and continue our track record of growth. Well, maybe I have to admit the track record is incredible. As I mentioned, the stock has tripled in the last five years. But if you go back 10 years, it just looks it's been one of the great stocks. How can you explain how even during tougher times you continue to put up great numbers when people would have thought that, wait a second, pools are a luxury no one can afford anymore? It never really skipped a beat. How is that possible? Well, first of all, uh, our revenues come from the install base of pools. The over 8 million pools in ground and above grounds in the United States and another like number internationally. Uh, to that end, uh, you know, we have endeavored to work with our customers, work with our suppliers to help grow the industry and help our customers succeed. Uh, we've been doing that for many years uh, in the process of uh, being part of a great industry, continuing to grow share organically, as well as uh, increase our effectiveness to bring more to the bottom line and provide the shareholder returns that you've, that you've noted uh, in your comments. I mean, how do you make up for the lost uh, uh, months? I mean, it, it, this is like, for instance, Clorox makes charcoal. And they'll tell you, look, we can't necessarily make it up. It's got to be incredibly hot at the end of the summer. But you seem to be quite confident that even though you miss with a cooler spring everywhere, that you'll still make it back. Well, uh, when you look at, the, at the, our business, we have year-round markets, which are fairly steady all year round, obviously. And then we have seasonal markets, like where you live up in the Northeast. And um, for example, when we got, went through our quarter in the second quarter, our base business sales were up only 1% in April, given the delayed spring. But in May and June, we were up 9% organically each of those two months. July is another good month. Uh, and, and, and that just evidence of the strength of our model, the strength of our business, the strength of our industry. And, and the great future that we have ahead of us. There are still plenty of companies to buy and plenty of smaller mom and pops to pick off. And the people who are in this business still need you and save a lot of money if they use you. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, our model is to be uh, work with our customers, the contractor customers, especially representing over 70 percent of our business. We are provide them the materials. We are their business partners. When they're doing a job, whether it's remodeling a pool, replacing the equipment in a pool, making a repair, basic maintenance, or even building a new pool, any facets of that business, they need us to provide them the materials when and where they need it so they can build out their time and succeed. Do you, do you think that your new CEO has any aspirations to be able to come up with some new things to be able to do, say, during November, December, January, uh, just because you've got a great, now you've got a great funnel. There are a tremendous number of people who rely on you. Are there other businesses that you can put through that funnel for contractors? Uh, we have looked at that over the course of time, but uh, Pete Arvin is a very bright guy. He has a great team around him, and uh, I am sure that they will come up 
with new ideas to further our growth for many years into the future. So I don't know so much about taking the, the edge off the winter in the northern markets, but certainly uh, there are opportunities for us to continue to improve our execution, continue to enhance the value that we provide to our customers as well as our suppliers. Well, I and, want to and to that end in the, in the time. That, yeah. Well, I just want to Go congratulate ahead. you. I mean, I think that what you've done is masterful. I used to be worried about Californian drought. You told me not to be. I was concerned about whether the weather would be good. You told me not to be. You were money good on every one of these. I want to wish you the best of luck. And I think you're leaving the company in great hands. Thank you very much, Jim. Really appreciate your support. Well, you deserve it. Okay, that is Manny Perez de la Mesa, President and CEO of Pool Corp. I'm as confident as ever this stock is going higher. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's over the late round. Good news around the world. One of the and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Kramer's and money. Let's get started with Anne in Indiana. Anne. Jim, so happy to hear from you. I got a question about IDEX. Never got a full position on, but no. I'm up over 20% in less than three months. Do I continue to trim or do I close it out? And you you got to hold on. This stock is a total horse. It's one of the best acting stocks. I put it right up there, uh, really, with Illumina, which is another great one. You know, these kind of uh, testing companies for anything genetic, anything biological, even if it is dogs and cats. IDEX, go buy some more. Get a bit, you know, pay up your bases, but do it. I need to go to Michael in Ohio. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I like this company's competitive, competitive positioning as the healthcare industry continues to transition towards value-based care programs. What's your take on Evolent Health, ticker EVH? Yeah, Thanks. you know, it's a good platform, but you know, when I come back to that group, I always come back to that you have to buy the best of breed that's large cap in it, of which I am going to say would be United Health. Now you can say, well, wait a second, that doesn't have it. But if you look at Optum, then you will say it does. Buy some United Health. Let's go to CJ in Texas. CJ. Booyah, Mr. Jim Kramer from Booyah. for the world. I'm sorry, which one? From the energy capital of the world, I was saying. Oh, so absolutely. West. Texas. Yeah. No, definitely. What's up? Right. W-E-S. I'm in it for the dividend and the growth. So in your expert opinion, is it possible? Yes, it is, actually. I think that these stocks are now undervalued. The one I've been looking at is DCP Midstreet. That yields 7%. They just bought the dividend. So I think you're in the right spot. And I'm willing to go with you. David, Illinois. David. Dr. Kramer, a.k.a. White Trout and El Monstro Fisherman. Welcome back. El Monstro, seven and a half. A record breaker as far as I'm concerned, certainly for me. 45-minute fight. My arms are still tired. How can I help? Good deal. Stephanie Link and I like biomedical device company Zimmer Biometric Biomet Holdings, ZBH. Dave, who am I to disagree with the Linkster or Dave? I totally agree with you. I think the device sector is good. And another one that she and I like very much is Abbott. There we go. Let's go to Peter in Florida. Peter. Hello. Peter. Sunny Booyah from Palm Beach. Nice. Wish I were there. What's up? Yeah, come down. Okay. Um, 
I'm so happy you took my call because my expressing gratitude to you is long overdue. I just want to thank you, Jim. Oh, man, you're very welcome. I come out here, I try to do my best every day. What's going well, on? Your best, is, your best is good enough. I just want to share a quick trivia thing with you. The legendary Vince Lombardi and his entire coaching career only lost one playoff, and that was to the Philadelphia Eagles in 1960. Jim Ringo, and he never forgave Jim Ringo and refused to speak <laughs> to him after that. Now, I don't blame him because Jim Ringo was viewed as disloyal, and who would want to leave yeah. Lombardi even though that we won the world championship that year? What else? That was some. That was some. Um, okay. I have to tell you that I was a miserable failure at investing until I discovered Primerica and have subsequently become very successful employing the lessons I learned from you, such as nobody ever made a dime panicking. Yes. I, I can't tell you how much it cost me when emotion was part of the equation. Anyway, my question is regarding Triton International. Uh, this past weekend, good yield, was a- good yield. I like the containers. I'm not crazy about them, but it's a good yield, and I'm okay. I'm going to take. Oh no! Hey, thanks for those fabulous comments. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The only lunchbox where kids can create their own design. I think every kid should see this in the morning. Oh, oh. They're going to have nightmares every night about it. Shark Tank, coming up next. CNBC, get yours. Do not think I know what I'm doing. I can't go further. At a baby business with grown-up problems, Marcus brings comfort and tough love. My mind is blown. From this point forward, it's going to be intense. The Profit, all new tonight at 10. CNBC, get yours. Even after today's terrific bounce, there are still plenty of bargains to be found among the technology stocks that got weighed down by the implosion of Facebook and Twitter late last week. Take Cypress Semiconductor, CY for all you home gamers. It's the maker of programmable systems on a chip, as well as chips for touchscreens, microcontrollers, really big business, appliances, Internet of Things, memory chips for the auto market, among other products. After roaring last year, the stock peaked in March because the Cypress gets 40% of its sales from China and Taiwan. we got to find out about that. People are concerned about the trade war. I suspect the Chinese government can't afford to crack down on American chip makers. Otherwise, their tech industry would die on the vine. And we know the company, in particular, this one, is in great shape. Last Thursday night, Cypress reported the, the latest in a string of better-than-expected quarters. The company delivered a four-cent earnings beat off a 29-cent basis, higher than anticipated revenue, 5.1% year-over-year, rapidly rising margins. Plus, management gave us strong guidance for the next quarter. That's why the stock surged up 6% on Friday, even as the Nasdaq was down 1.5%. But I think that Cyprus would have rallied even harder if it hadn't reported right into the teeth of a panic sell-off in the whole tech sector. Yep, I bet this stock has more room to run, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Hassan El Khoury. He's the president and CEO of Cyprus Semi. Learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. El Khoury, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me again. Okay, I want to drill right down immediately. We know that there are trade issues. We know that China is, we're fighting back against China. Let's use the uh, language that the president gives. How concerned are you that this could hurt your business? Because I know our viewers will pay more for this stock if they just get a little more certainty about this issue. 
Look, let me first uh, give you my, my position about the whole uh, uh, trade and, and IP also. I, I personally am a big believer in free trade. Uh, this really allows companies to innovate, companies to compete on a very equal floor. Uh, however, with IP, with innovation, you need to have IP protection. We are where we are, and based on that, we looked at what the impact is for Cyprus. What we talked on the call, uh, our revenue is about 1.5% of revenue. It will be impacted by the 25% tariffs. You know, it's not material. Obviously, we're always monitoring the situation. We're heavily involved uh, with, the, with the respected parties. Uh, we're working on ways to minimize even that little 1.5% that we have. That's direct impact uh, for Cyprus. Obviously, we're all looking at what this would do for a on a macro uh, level. But for Cyprus directly, I'm not very concerned about it. It's minimal, and we're of course trying to mitigate that minimal impact. Okay. Now, automotive, which I like very much. I know that your background before you even went into semiconductor Cyprus was automotive. It represents 31%, along with consumer 31%. I know that autos allegedly, because I'm not as bearish on autos as other people, allegedly are slowing down. But you're getting an increasingly larger portion of the auto. What are some of the new accounts that you're getting, which tells me not to worry about whether growth of autos are flat. You're taking great share. That's right. I mean, if you look at it, we're both adding new content and also taking share from uh, competition. You know, I've always said we're not we're immune to the SAR fluctuation. You know, people talk and people are bearish on, you know, inventory and quarter on quarter. Automotive is a longer term view. I mean, we're talking about two to three year design cycle. We have at Cyprus great visibility over the next three years. We are winning instrument cluster, which will solidify our number one position we currently have. We are winning in body electronics, you know, where a lot of people are spending money, you know, the features, the comfort and convenience of that car. That's where we play. The content is accelerating, even if we have concerns about the SAR. We at Cyprus are a content player. Where do people spend money today in the car? Infotainment. They want to have the same exact user experience when they walk in the car as when they walk in the home. We introduced RSDB with our Wi-Fi product or real simultaneous dual band. It allows everybody in the car to stream content to their own device from the cockpit while the driver keeps interacting with the car. These are automotive innovations that we bring in from the consumer space where we're also very strong. All right, Hassan, that's, that leads to my next question, which is, I don't think people realize how strong your consumer franchise is. Sonos. Roku, people love these stocks, they love the products. Nest, of course, Apple, Nintendo, Amazon. This consumer business, this group of clients is the fastest growing group of clients imaginable. So are you picking up even more business from these? Like if, uh, for Sonos, which is going to come public and be wildly popular, you play a key role in every Sonos device. I mean, absolutely. If you look at the play, and I want to focus not just on a product, but really the cross-selling play that we have. Our cross-selling, which is customers buying one or more or two or more products from uh, Cyprus, has increased 11%. So even when we have a footprint in a specific design, getting more products into that same design and enjoying the growth on both product lines is a key focus for our strategy. But we are across the board. Uh, the beauty of it, we are winning new accounts. We are winning new platforms. But the key here is, is uh, really on the platform side. You know, I gave the example on uh, Thursday of LG. We introduced uh, in 2017 the air conditioning with the LG platform, the ThinQ, voice-enabled uh, uh, LG home appliance. 
This quarter, I talked about the washing machine. That proliferation of the smart home devices, the smart home end systems, is really where we play. And the fact that we provide that proprietary connectivity, which is at the heart of the IoT, allows for that stickiness of that revenue even in those consumer applications. One last question, because we've got to run, but I look at your market cap as $6.5 billion, and frankly, it mystifies me. You are playing in every fast-growing area. You are taking share from everyone. What the heck is your market? Why is it it's only $6.5 billion? And don't you run the risk of being snapped up by someone bigger, because you would bring, bring them so many good clients? You know, for us, we, we focus on our strategy. We focus on the deployment. Obviously, there's always the, you know, any incoming and any strategic uh, aspects of, of any public company. And, of course, we address that when it comes. But our focus now is what we can control is the execution, is the shareholder value creation, which we've done very, very well from where we started. You know, I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary. I think we've had a great ride. Our five-year plan and our strategy, Cypress 3.0, is playing out exactly like we want it. It's actually a little bit ahead of when I thought when I took over two years ago. That is what the market is. Who will be the first firm that breaks ranks and takes Apple out of the tech column and puts it with the razor razor bladers, who puts it with the consumer product stocks? Because if you were to do that, this stock would be well north of 280, maybe 300, and it's about time. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.